Yes, indeed, God is so good, I cannot tell it all. Good morning. Happy first Sunday of Advent. You believe Christmas is right around the corner? Woo-wee, are y'all ready? You know, first Sunday of Advent is always been a difficult time for me because the scripture reading, it's an odd choice, isn't it? Preparing the faith community for the celebration of the birth of the Messiah. Many have literally interpreted today's gospel reading as a description by Jesus of the end of the world. And for countless generations, people have, convinced, have been convinced that the current events in their lifetime were foretold by Jesus and therefore signaled the coming of the end of the world in their generation. My, my, one could certainly look at the events of today and it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to conclude that this time it may be the real deal. Global warming is rapidly changing the world's climate and in the past decade we have seen or experienced natural disasters on a scale never seen before in written history. The Middle East is a powder keg with war in Afghanistan going on over 10 years now an all-out war threatening to break out in Syria, Palestine, perhaps even Egypt. The planet's resources are quickly dwindling and will not endlessly sustain the exploding population. The United States government is arguably broken, and we are headed for a fiscal cliff that threatens to drive us into a recession far worse than what we have already experienced in the last few years. The signs are everywhere. Turn on the History Channel and you hear how Nostradamus predicted major world wars, famine, and the near destruction of humankind that is supposedly now unfolding before our very eyes. Turn on the Discovery Channel and hear how some, of the, or hear how some people believe the Mayans predicted the end of civilization as we know it in just 19 more days. Are you ready? <laughs> December 1st, 2012, get ready. You can watch the show Doomsday Preppers to get a good idea about how to survive that day. They'll teach you everything you need to know to survive the collapse of our society as everything around us goes to hell in a handbasket. Wow. Joy to the world and Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Thankfully, biblical scholars say that this passage of apocalyptic doom and gloom uses symbolic language, not to predict the end of the world, but to warn the people of Israel at that time that the oppression of the Roman Empire was leading them down a path of true destruction. The only thing that will save them, according to the author, is that when they see these dark times start to unfold, they should stand up, raise their heads, because their redemption will soon be close at hand. The author of this passage tells them to pray for strength to escape all of this that will happen and stand before the son of humanity. So why do we use this bleak passage 
to start off Advent. What does any of this have to do with the coming of the Messiah? What does it imply for our faith community and what we believe about Jesus, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us? Well, the clues are in the passage itself. It says that there will be utter chaos, a shaking up of the world as we know it. There will be distress and confusion. They've been looking at my life. Saints, I'm here to tell you, we don't need global destruction, a collapse of the economy, or nuclear Armageddon to experience our world being turned upside down. Now do we? If you've experienced the loss of someone close to you, if you've suffered from a severe injury or a debilitating disease, if you have lost your job and have no other source of income, you know what I'm talking about. Drastic events in our lives sometimes lead us to wonder, what did we do to deserve this? And when our lives don't get back to normal fairly quick, we begin to think that the pain and the misery will never end. If we're honest, we may even begin to question God, to rage at God, to shake our fist and say, enough already. And when there are still no answers forthcoming, we may begin to even question our faith. We wonder, where is God Doubt as to whether there even is a God may shake us to our very core. And still, when there is no answer, we begin to feel a sense of abandonment and we ask the question, why? Why? This is where ancient Israel was. Wondering why God had abandoned them and left them to the mercy of the cruel Roman oppressors. And this is where we sometimes find ourselves in the dark times in our lives. According to the scripture reading, eventually we will all experience what St. John of the Cross called in a poem, the dark night of the soul. The main idea of this poem can be seen as the painful experience that people endure as they seek to grow in spiritual maturity in union with God. The gospel reading tells us to beware that we're not caught off guard because our dark night of the soul will spring on us like a trap. It will happen to everyone, everyone, somewhere along their spiritual journey. I can remember vividly some of my darkest nights of the soul. They were not pretty. I know many of you here have had similar spiritual experiences. But I would like to share with you today the story of a woman. This is a true story. Who went through a terrible ordeal of being lost. Her story can be seen as a metaphor for what we go through spiritually in feeling abandoned by God. So as I tell this story, I want you to, in your mind, relate it to what can happen to us spiritually. It begins with a 25-year-old woman by the name of Linda Fortney. 
She was a registered nurse who lived and worked in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. On July 31st in 1975, she sent her mom a postcard saying that she was going to hike the Grand Canyon with her beloved dog, Coco Gin. She had almost three weeks before she had to be back at work. She failed, however, to leave a trip plan with anyone. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you truly understand why they named it the Grand Canyon. It is literally hundreds of square miles of nothing but desert canyon. You could probably already see where this is going. She'd already made two dangerous errors. She told no one where she was going, and she was traveling alone. What Linda hadn't told anyone was that she was hiking the Havasu Canyon starting on August 1st. Her plan was to hike to the Supai Village, but getting a late start on the trail and having never been to Arizona, she was stunned by the 100 plus degree heat and the confusing trails. But she was determined to make the seven mile hike to the village by dark. Now I can tell you that when I was much, 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 much younger, I hiked the Grand Canyon, and I'm telling you, seven miles of hiking the Grand Canyon is nowhere near what it's like even walking 20 miles in Houston. It is rough, treacherous terrain. And I know the heat beats down on us in Houston, but there, that heat is ferocious, and there is no shade. There are no trees growing unless you're in the very bottom of the canyon, very few trees. And so she set out. As sundown approached, she made another grave error. She placed her pack, which contained her food, her water, and her gear on the trail. She wandered off trail with nothing but her purse. Becoming disoriented, she could not find her way back to the trail, nor to her rucksack. She proceeded along until she reached a fork. She had a 50-50 choice here. If she went to the left, she would wind up in a couple of miles finding that village she had been looking for. If she went to the right, she was going to wind up in a whole lot of nowhere. Guess which way she went? Wouldn't be much of a story unless I told you she went to the right. And so she did. To the right, away from the main trail, away from the village, away from any source of water. Eventually, it got dark. Linda was shocked at how low the temperature went. In her jeans and a halter top, she was not prepared for the temperature being in the 50s in August. Although she had matches in her purse, she was so afraid she didn't light a fire and she didn't sleep. She found herself in the morning cold, tired, 
foodless, and waterless. As you can imagine, Linda became extremely anxious to get out of that cab canyon real quick. Again, she had a 50-50 choice in front of her. If she turned around and went back down the way she had come, then hopefully she would eventually find that village. If she kept going in the direction she was headed, she was going to what was a virtual death trap. Again, Linda made a poor decision and kept going the way that she had been, up canyon. A few more miles from where she had spent the night, she veered off once again into yet another dead-end canyon. By nightfall, she was now 15 miles from the village and 20 miles from her car. By her third day, she was severely dehydrated. Miraculously, however, she did find a small stream further up the canyon, but it dripped so incredibly slowly that it took 45 minutes to fill the only thing in her purse she could catch water in, and that was her eyeglass case. I have here the case for my eyeglasses. 45 minutes to fill this. I wanted you to see how much that was. I have in here a half a cup. I'm going to fill the deeper end of this. 45 minutes to fill this up. It gets to just a little over a quarter of a cup. In 100 degree plus weather, that's not very much water, is it? Not very much at all. Just enough, really, so that she didn't die of dehydration, so she could cling to life. Now, since she had this, uh, a source of water, she became too afraid to leave this place, so she decided to stay where she was. For the first four days, Linda screamed to the top of her lungs, and no one heard her. The nights remained so cold and frightening that each night seemed to last an eternity before sunrise. To fight the cold, she walked in circles. She sang to herself, and she prayed the rosary as she was taught in her Catholic upbringing. When the sun came up, the heat was so fierce and intense, she thought she would not be able to bear it. For the first 15 days of her self-imposed exile. Did y'all catch that? The first 15 days. She kept track of the days in the address book that was in her purse until it became too depressing to continue doing that. At one point, she found an empty whiskey bottle. Had she filled it and headed back down the canyon, she probably would have had enough water to get her to that village. However, in her extremely weak state now, she dropped the whiskey bottle and broke it. Hunger drove her to eat her only source of food, cactus blossoms. Eventually, even her best friend, Coco Gin, weak and starving, wandered off and left her truly alone. Finally, on August 19th, 
Linda's mother received a phone call from her place of work. She had not shown up for her shift. And so Linda's mother, becoming worried, called the sheriff's department in the county where the Grand Canyon is. So the sheriff's department dispatched a search party. They found her car, luckily, on the rim of the Havasupai Canyon. So they at least knew where to start. On August 20th, four Native Americans found Linda. She stared at them and cried. At five foot four, Linda had gone from 110 pounds to 85 pounds. After her near death, Wrong way experience, you dog lovers out there will be happy to know that they also found her dog, nursed it back to health, and eventually the dog was returned to Linda. So why did I tell you this story? I think that we can compare Linda's physical ordeal with how we experience our dark night of the soul. Many of us have also walked into the abyss and come out the other side transformed in our journey with God. She starts her journey excited, perhaps joyful at the prospect of encountering God in what I like to call a thin place, a Celtic term for those places where the veil between God and humanity is very thin. We often set out on our quest to be in relationship with God in the same way. We're excited about the journey. We come to church to hear a good word. We feel the spirit and the awesome music. And we connect with God in our own thin places. Linda set out thinking that everything she needed for the journey was there. She had her rucksack with food and water and gear. She had her trusted companion, Coco Jin, to share the journey with her. However, she found, even with everything she had taken with her, that she had not properly prepared for the trip because what she had with her was inadequate. She didn't bring a jacket for the cold night air in case she got lost. She hadn't told anyone her plan she struck out on her own with no one to help her if she got in trouble. And she left that rucksack behind. What was all that about? In short, she didn't begin her trip expecting that the worst possible outcome might come to pass. Isn't that how we find our circumstances in life? Events take us by surprise. We didn't expect or prepare for the worst. But now we may find ourselves in a dangerous and very dry place. Like Linda, we may be faced with choices, whether or not that we're the ones making them or someone is making them for us. And sometimes things happen where we have no choice at all. But whatever circumstances we may find ourselves in on that path, 
it may lead away from where we were originally headed, away from safety, away from comfort. And like Linda, we may not even realize that we're heading into an even more dry and dangerous place until we get there and uh-oh, now what? We may find ourselves stuck, unable to move from where we are for fear if we do, things are only going to get worse. And in this dry and barren place, we may reflect on how we ever got there. We figuratively walk in circles, pray the rosary, or do any of those things that religious people taught us would make everything better. And none of them work. We talk to God, we reason with God, we rant and we rave. And when no answers come, we find ourselves stuck in this arid, empty wasteland. And we finally come to the question, why? It is in this place of surrender that we find ourselves naked and vulnerable with God. We have left behind any pretense of understanding. We have used every religious spiritual trick in the book to find our way out of this dry place and nothing has worked. It is in this place of surrender where we refuse to let go of hope and dare to keep hope alive. And it is in this place when we have survived the darkest night, when we are empty and spent, this is when the dawn comes. We have survived the worst and realized that God was with us the whole time, feeling our pain and loving us through it. Jesus experienced that pain when he wept in the garden, when he bled on the cross, and when he cried out to God, Why? Why have you forsaken me? Brian McLaren in Naked Spirituality said that the cry of God becomes our own. And so our dark times are not just humans crying out to God, but God crying through humans. Through our tragedies, we connect and tap into the pain that lies at the heart of the Creator. This is what Advent is all about. Waiting for a God who comes to us in our pain. A God who feels our tears. A God who experiences not only our joy, but our misery. Advent is all about hoping beyond all hope that even in our feelings of abandonment, we will experience the coming of Emmanuel, God with us. And so... We celebrate the one who saves us even from our dark night of the soul. Joy to the world indeed. God bless you all in your journey with the Holy One. Amen. Amen. Now take just a few seconds to reflect on what Spirit is saying through Reverend Pat's words, through this place.
Even through our sniffles and coughing, we reflect on what Spirit is saying.